This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Potentially you've just had a five-minute oversharing conversation with another parent at the school gate that will fit beautifully with husband-wife team Fiona Harris and Mike Matlish's web series, The Drop-Off. Their new six-part web series strikes gold with that bubble of time after dropping the kids at school and heading off to the rest of your day. And we've spoken to you, Fiona. Hello, both of you. Hi. We've spoken to you about this before when it was just one episode and left many of us wanting more and now we have more you do have more you have five more five more five minutes and it doesn't disappoint and it's good fun but maybe you know i've just done a little bit of a explanation of what it's about but maybe you two tell us mike Mike. what is it about hey hi (laughs) hi (laughs) um so uh, the drop off yeah so we wanted to uh It it comes from the very basic premise of write what you know, and we know this particular situation very well. And um, Fiona had the idea of writing a show based around based around the drop off, and then we just started cranking out material because there's there's a lot of gold in them their heels. Um, So yeah, so we wrote the the pilot episode and shot it and just made it on the cheap, and then uh, we got a really great response to that. And then through the very slow process of sort of finding co-producers and that sort of stuff, we finally had the opportunity to make five more in, in January. Um, and uh, and threw them out onto the interwebs a month or so ago. A month or so ago. Yeah, it was the no- at the tenth of October. We released oh, them to the you world. Go. You know the date and everything. <laughs> and um, yeah, we we're very happy with the response so far. We've had yeah. um, sixty thousand plus views. Lots of lovely feedback and comments. We've been waiting. You know when you wait for the nasty? We've been waiting for the nasty because, you know, it's the internet and people (laughs) say all sorts of things. And so far, touch wood, we haven't experienced that. So it's been really nice. I think people are just relating to, even if you're not a parent, it's just the friendship between these three characters, four characters, including Scott Edgar, um, who weasels his way in um, (laughs) to the little group. Um, And so, yeah, I think people hopefully that's what they're responding to is their sort of banter and their relationship and yeah so whether and it's you're also, a parent or not you know it's the sort of stuff that I mean one of the reasons we wanted to make it is so that we could write it the way we wanted to and mm. the way we've written it is not the sort of thing you'd necessarily get to see on broadcast television so yeah no and I think we've talked about that before when I came in here a couple of times ago which was that yeah it's so great because now you can just make like you can write something you can make it and you can just put it out there and people can see it and that process and when it's so good i mean it's beautifully filmed and you said it's like you know quick and dirty or whatever it doesn't come across that way. Oh, oh we, had, we had, we had, we had great, you dirty? great You crew. said something. How well, you thought a little bit dirty. Well, we yeah. did, we did, you know, the, the, the pilot. The yeah, negativity exactly. starts here. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Get online, people. We want some trolls. I there want is some an trolls episode to deal about with. porn, talking about porn, so you know. That is dirty. Yeah. Is yeah. Yeah. And they get talked about a lot, though, at the school drop-off, I reckon, because oh, people oh. are worried about it. They were like, yeah. they are what are the kids learning online? And actually, you know, especially with family life education, some people withdraw their kids, but it's like, mm. They're getting something else somewhere else. Yeah, that's right. They want to see it. They're going to find it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it is kind of an adult series very much. You talk about porn and sort of adult issues, sex and so on. (laughs) But, but are kids intrigued by this knowing that you film it maybe at at their primary school? Do they? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. We've, we've had, we've had to warn off a lot of parents, um, 
Yeah. So don't don't sit down and watch this in the car before you drop your kids off. Well, it's when not, we not had our we had a little very small screening just for sort of people who were as you see there's a lot of families in the opening credits and in the background and they were all friends of ours from the school that our kids go to and they were just so amazing. The community just gave up their school holiday, getting down to the school at 7am with the kids in school uniform. And so we had a little shindig screening for those people and people involved in the making of it. And, you know, I was getting RSVPs like, yep, the four of us will be there, as in the kids as well. And I'm writing back, no, they won't. No. Because it's not no. for kids. And it's understandable people assume it's for kids because it's filmed in a school. But no, no, it's definitely not mm, PG. Parents behaving badly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you've, I mean, I imagine you've drawn on actual conversations you've had or overheard. Yeah, definitely. Is. I mean, you can't, you can't help but. I mean, every, everything's definitely exaggerated so that we can, you know, milk the most comedy out of it. But we, I mean, there are so many people have stories about things that have happened at the drop off or things that have happened at school or things that have happened with teachers, with principals, with kids, with. We're uh, hearing yeah. a lot of naughty stories. Oh, there's a lot of naughtiness. It's, it's, it's great. And it's, it's that, it's that great little, um, you know, that, that sense of, in a primary school, you don't necessarily expect to hear these sorts of conversations. Cause it's a primary school. It's a place of learning and education. And it's a, it's a place to mold young minds, but really it's just parents talking some serious nastiness really, a lot of the time. Yeah. One of my favorite episodes, I binge watched it over, over the weekend. Um, Doesn't take, it's like 25 minutes. Well, that's, binge. that's right. It's, it's not a, game, it's it's not a big binge. It was over breakfast. It was <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> I still have my wheat bigs. But, um, but one of our favorite episodes is the one about lost property where there's a teacher there who's kind of like <laughs> admonishing you as much as they are the kids and, yes. and it did, did kind of get that sense of what it was like to be in school and to be told off by this like terrifying oh. teacher figure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are certain dynamics that, that never go away and, uh, you know, there are there are certain, you know, the principal is never not scary. Well, whether you're a parent mm. or, a, or a student, um, if you get... And, you know, the whole premise of that episode is that my character, Sam, is busted from stealing a hat from lost property to replace the hat that his daughter's lost. This is something that comes from personal experience. Um, and so when you get, when you're getting, when you get busted in school, you feel nine years old again. It doesn't matter if you're a 42 year old grown man, just like me, you just revert back to being a naughty little kid who's just been busted by the principal. Especially when she's the principal we've created, who's quite terrifying. Mm. Played beautifully by Sally Faraday. Um, But yeah, Miss Guthrie is not a principal you want to mess with. Mm. Don't call her Penny. No, yeah, don't, don't call, call her. Penny. No, never go the first no. name. Very formal. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that's good fun too because I mean, most schools now you don't use the. You might say Miss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only true. ones, Emma, especially, yeah. you can use a name, but maybe the first name. It's all mixed up. Some you use their first name. Yeah, that's right. I don't know how many schools still use Misses. X and Y, I don't well, know. Well, I think it depends on, like, if they're older, I would just feel that you should call them Miss or Mrs or Mr. Um, but there's so many teachers who are now 20 years younger than me. I'm not calling them Miss. Just 20? Yeah. Oh, okay. So I need to, to um, oh, come on. about let's my be, age. Let's be honest. No, I'm just saying they're really young. Yeah, all right. You're only a That's little enough. bit old, but they're really young. All right.
right. All right. 23, <laughs> 22. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. 20 years. Straight out of uni, straight into the bear pit. Yeah. What's it like having that um, kind of total ownership over a, a production or a show? Because both of you are involved in so many different projects, but it's a really rare thing to not just act or, or to not just write, but mm. actually have that full creative control and to be involved <laughs> in the whole thing. But it's the best. I mean, it's the best sort of stress because, you know, we've, we've both spent a lot of time over the years kind of pitching things to networks or to the ABC and you sort of, it's always that feeling of trying to jam a square peg in a round hole or trying to write something either that you think you know the commissioning editor is going to like or and with this we just it's like caution to the wind it's like well we're just going to make it exactly the way we want which is awesome which is, and it awesome. is stressful because you do take on all of that responsibility but that's sort of that's that's part and parcel of having complete ownership of it. You mm. can't sort of, yeah. you can't go half-assed on it. For example, it. things like point. wardrobe. Maybe I didn't put enough time and thought into what I was going to be wearing because there were so many other things to worry about. And then on the day, you're like, oh, yeah, I'll just wear that. And you grab it and then maybe you might regret what you <laughs> grabbed when you watch it back and go, oh, really? This that's doesn't, it's not sounding particularly hypothetical, I, I've got to be honest. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm just saying that's an example of what might happen. Yeah. I, I mean, I've turned up to school with my jumper inside out and so forth. I think it's okay. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. can wear whatever you Absolutely. like. In the pilot, Absolutely. my character Lizzie is in her pyjama pants and that is based on a real woman at my school um, who I love and is one of my friends and who will just regularly turn up in her pyjama pants because why not? Because why not? No one cares. There's, there's, there's very little judgment. Yeah, no judgment. Not at our school anyway. No. We're talking about the drop-off. It's a web series. You can get it th- on Facebook and you can find it through Princess Films. And I suppose, where do you distribute... Were you deliberately launching it on, on yeah. Facebook? That's yeah. the kind of... Yeah, yeah. We, we, we thought we'd just set up a Facebook page, throw it on there. It's a really good way to get a lot of instant feedback as well. It's great. And you sort of... All of those things that um, that people talk about, you know, getting some traction online, getting engaging with your audience, all that sort of stuff. And it's... It's really fun. You know, people have a very instant response to it. They can respond with words right on the page, right there, and you can have a chat to them. Um, so it's nice. It's nice to feel like, uh, you know, the drop-off is, is a very sort of community-based project for us, and so it's nice to feel like that we're sort of broadening that community online. And it's also because our view is obviously to film more, and we've got six scripts sitting sitting there ready to film. Um, and so, yeah, it's a great way to sort of get it out there and, and then now the next phase for us is trying to find a way to film those next Just things. say money. Money. <laughs> money. <laughs> they need it. And we need it for, yeah, for this exactly. series to be made because I need to find out what happens to your character, oh, my oh, Sam. Oh, yeah, poor Sam. We need well, to know that was, that was Don't See, give it ideally, away. Don't ideally, give it I, was, I was hoping that someone someone really, really wealthy who's really interested in original Australian content <laughs> was going to feel exactly the same. <laughs> Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. And it's, I mean, and we, we deliberately put that episode as, as the last episode we released. There's really, there's no necessary chronology to the episodes. You can sort of watch them all as standalones, but we did want to, we liked the idea of showing an episode that has, you know, just, just a little sprinkling of pathos in there. Mm. Why not? The tragedy of a, a marriage breaking down in front of you. Oh, you've just given it away. Not quite. No, not, not really. Quite. There's oh. a bit of other stuff. <laughs> really. There is a bit of other stuff. You're right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about the porn one more if you want. Is that sure? All right. Oh, fine. Yeah. oh our daughter is in the room though, so maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> okay. Speaking nothing of spoilers. she doesn't know. There's this is nothing is. she she hasn't seen it. She's not allowed to watch it. No. And I mean, look, it's not recommended for no. for kids. No. We should emphasize that. We Although really it is called the dub. It's not called the pick up though so it's not you know it does sound that a little bit like it could be spin-off. Be. yeah yeah <laughs> the, spin-off. the next spin-off is the pickup 
Yeah. Which is a very mm. different vibe. You yeah. Know? Mm. It's a different vibe to pick up. And, and so you're, you're both, as we mentioned, involved in so many different <laughs> projects. What are you working on currently aside from this? Mine's easy. I'm, I'm up in Sydney at the moment performing in Beautiful, the Carol King musical, which comes here in February. I think we're at Her Majesty's in, in February. Um, and we'll be touring that sort of through till, till oh, I don't know till July-ish, and then I think we're going on to Brisbane and Adelaide and stuff. Yep. And, uh, I think there's a drop-off film thing in this, the um, absent, the absent husband. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, we actually, I actually managed to film uh, a little extra episode just on my phone, um, sort of based around the same-sex marriage debate with um, Chrissy Whelan-Brown, who's up there at the moment doing uh, Muriel's Wedding, the musical that just opened over the weekend. Um, and uh, we roped in one of her castmates, Tom Sherrard, who's a fantastic actor. And I'd had this... I'd, just, I had an idea to, to, you know, to write this episode and just sort of get it out there, particularly once the vote was done. I didn't, we didn't want to write anything that was sort of didactic and telling people what to do because really you're preaching to the converted, particularly when you're on a Facebook page with a lot of like-minded people. But just, I, I've, yeah, I've, I wanted to use the opportunity of having Christy and I in the same city as well to, to sort of shoot another little episode. But yeah. I yeah. got really derailed there. Save me, Fiona. <laughs> That's good. So while he and Christy are up in Sydney, Scott, Edgar and I are down here, so we might just do our own little... We might just film <laughs> our own little thing. Then it'll be a competition. Mm, wow. It's going to be like Buffy and Angel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Thank yes, you to I'm, everyone listening who got that reference. Well I'm... Um, I'm still doing lots of writing, so um, with Sally Rippon, we're still writing Mooper's books and Scott Edgar, um, and also for Five Mile Press, I'm writing some other books, some Trolls books, um, and some Miraculous books, which is a French animated TV series, which we're turning into books. So I've been very busy. There's been lots of writing going on while the husband's been away, and lots of parenting, single parenting, which yeah. is always busy. And, so, and uh, you... I just get to put up with a lot of passive aggression. Yep. And when he gets home, there's a long list. Oh, there's lists. <laughs> Mow the nature strip, check the internet. It always says Mike Monday because yeah. that's the oh. day that I'm back. Oh, and, then, and you're here. I'm here. I just realised how fortunate that was to kind of catch yeah. you in town. It I know. Really I well. couldn't be happier to be in here chatting to you guys rather than mowing the lawn and fixing <laughs> the dishwasher and the internet. Which will be happening when we get home. <laughs> there's definitely a show on that. <laughs> Thank you both for coming in. Thank it's you really for having great. Us. Oh, thanks for having us. And, uh, and thanks for giving us some time with your, your dad while, while he's in town. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll catch you again really soon and good luck getting the next section um, six. Oh, hello. She's six. on the brain now. That's on the Monday list as well, don't Oh, all right. The daughter's in the room. <laughs> Let's turn the mics oh. off. Uh, 29 past nine. Thank you so much. And we'll see you really, really soon. Thanks, Barry. Thank Thanks. Thanks. Uh, and 15 minutes, uh, 15 months after it was established following a Four Corners report showing abuse in the Dondale Youth Detention Centre in the Northern Territory, the Royal Commission and Board of Inquiry into the Protection and Detention of Children in the Northern Territory has handed down its findings. They make for damning and disturbing reading. And unsurprisingly, advocates and the community want all of the Royal Commission's recommendations accepted and implemented. In particular, the recommendation the age of criminal responsibility be raised from 10 to 12 years. To talk more about the findings, Shalina Musk is here. She's senior lawyer and human right at the Human Rights Law Centre. She's worked as a youth justice lawyer in Western Australia and the Northern Territory. And Shalina, it's really great to have you in at Triple R. And I suppose uh, before we go into the specific findings what was your initial response to the the findings that were handed down yeah so um being a lawyer in the northern territory for so many years and actually being born as and uh, larry keel woman from the northern territory um i've had many years of despair growing up there working in the sector and uh, um actually having a report which confirms 
all the things I already knew and now provides a roadmap for what needs to change to to rebuild and, and strengthen the protections for children and try to ensure that children are not being further harmed when they come into child protection or youth justice. So um, it was a very emotional couple of days um, just going through the report and it's a really big report. I'm only halfway through. But, yes, I, I feel somewhat vindicated and um, and hopeful now. Yeah, and I think it's um, upwards of, of 2,000 pages. It's a, it's a massive report with a whole lot of recommendations as well. What, what are some of the key ones, I guess, that, that you think are, I guess, the biggest priority for, for implementing? Yeah, so, um, yeah, the well over 200 recommendations which cut across child protection and youth justice. But for me, there are five key asks which um, the Human Rights Law Centre are, are really pushing on government to say, you need to do this to ensure our children are not harmed and that the systems are going to be more effective when children come into the system and ensure that their needs are going to be met and communities are going to be safer. So the first one is to raise the age of criminal responsibility to at least 12, preferably 14. I know the Royal Commission has said 12. And that's the age in which a child could be arrested by police, charged for an offence, brought to court or locked up in a youth prison. So we, we say you need to raise it to at least 12, um, preferably 14. The second is to uh, stop the abuse of children in prison and uh, that includes a, a ban on solitary confinement for the purpose of punishment or behavioural management and to actually wind back and put restrictions on the use of force. So what I mean by that is the use of restraints, handcuffs, total ban on a spit hood or chair that we saw Dylan Voller um, strapped to uh, to ensure that there's a real um, limitation on when strip searches can take place and there actually be alternatives being uh, utilised in detention and to um, ensure that uh, there is a, um, a ban on governments putting children in facilities like Dondale so there's a a recommendation to close Dondale within three months and we're saying that governments should not be locking up children and putting them in supermax prisons. The fourth is to do away with laws, policies and strategies that contribute to young people coming in, in the first place. So um, winding back some harsh bail laws, uh, investing in uh, policies that actually help to get children's lives back on track and address the root causes of their offending behaviour. And the fifth is to ensure there's independent oversight. At the moment there's a number of bodies or mechanisms in place but they do not, they're just not strong enough and they're not effective in trying to ensure independent oversight of these facilities. So they're the five key asks, but they are um, a general reflection of many of the recommendations. Mm. And, and do we know um, already what the response from the Northern Territory Government is or might be? Uh, so we've heard uh, the Chief Minister, Mr Gunner, in the news saying that um, it's going to take a bit of time to go through the report and the recommendations, it is quite voluminous and um, I think to be fair to the government, we need them to um, take this seriously, consider uh, with due regard the recommendations and um, of course it's going to take a lot of time, a lot of money and uh, collaboration with those um, in the Northern Territory and also the Commonwealth. So um, I'm, I am concerned that the Commonwealth Government hasn't been out up front saying that they're going to commit to funding and resource in the NT government to get it done but I would have thought that um, we now have a roadmap for what needs to uh, change in the Northern Territory and a clear set of uh, steps to be taken um, but yeah I, I, I'm hopeful that we'll see in the next few weeks a commitment by the NT government to implement every recommendation to do that in a transparent and um, and, uh, and also in a reportable time frame. I think people want to know is when are these things going to take place um, and how soon. 
So, yeah, it's just a wait and see. It seems also, I mean, from anyone who, who watched that Four Corners episode on, on Dondale and the, the abuse that was going on there, that there really needs to be um, a, a cultural shift in these youth, the youth justice, youth justice centres um, and the places that, that children are currently kept. Do, are you optimistic that that cultural change will begin to happen from this report? Oh, I think... Yeah, so it's one thing to have a report with recommendations, but you really need to have, um, I guess, strong leadership demonstrating what needs to be done, and um, and it needs to come from the Chief Minister, um, Dale Wakefield, who is the Minister responsible for Territory Families and the Detention Facilities, Youth Justice and Child Protection, and um, and that needs to filter down. So um, ensuring that there's uh, clear policies in place, ensuring that the overarching principles are reflective of child rights, the best interests of the child, um, and also ensuring that there's ongoing training, education of staff uh, within the facilities, not just staff on the ground, so the youth justice workers, those in corrections, but um, those who are in the executive positions, uh, the officials, also need to have the training and the education to ensure that they're the ones making the, the high-level decisions, that they are doing so um, totally appraised of what are child rights, what are the human rights implications, um, to ensure that it, you, you, they are leading by example. And, I mean, is there potential if these recommendations are adopted and they're adopted in full that the Northern Territory could start to lead in Australia when it comes to the treatment of young people in detention? I mean, I know that Muriel Bamflett gave evidence to the Royal Commission talking about the situation here in Victoria, but I understand here uh, children can be put in detention at age 10, similar to yeah. the Northern Territory. Yeah, so... As part of Change the Record Coalition, which Human Rights Law Centre um, are, is we're saying that the mis- mistreatment and abuse of children in Dondale is just a snapshot of what's happening all around Australia. And we've we've seen in the last year or so um, inquiries being conducted in Queensland, ACT, New South Wales, and so on. It's it's the abuse and mistreatment of children is just not confined to the NT. It's a national issue and a national crisis that needs national leadership. And um, as part of the Change the Record Coalition, we're asking for um, that there be justice targets set. So knowing, noting that the majority of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children are the ones making up child protection and youth justice um, in the Northern Territory but all around Australia, uh, there should be national... Uh, sorry, justice targets set through COAG and partnership agreements to ensure that governments are held accountable and we can actually monitor progress towards uh, ensuring that there are real changes that reduce the number of children coming into the systems in the first place. And I understand in New Zealand in um, so over the past years they've implemented programs, diversion programs, so that young people, children don't end up in prison, that, that, that as much mm-hmm. as possible that can be avoided. How has that kind of played out over there and can we take certain learnings from New Zealand and, and yeah, apply them so, to Australia. And that, a lot of that evidence has been brought out in the Royal Commission. So the Royal Commission noted in their re- recent report that uh, New Zealand uh, actually ensures 80% of children who get in trouble with the law are actually diverted out of the youth justice system in the first place. So we're seeing only a very small percentage that come through the formal system. And by way of diversion, that could be cautions by police, that could be um, victim offender conferencing, so allowing the victim to be part of the process, confronting the offender, ensuring that the harm caused by the offending is, is actually felt by the vi- 
by the offender, so ensuring empathy and understanding and an apology to me. Mm -hmm. So they're really effective mechanisms, um, which I feel are more effective uh, outside of the youth justice system formally because um, it's really... I think a lot of victims want to ensure that the young person is held accountable and actually understands the harm that um, that young person has caused. So they're sort of some of the mechanisms that are utilised um, and they're more effective because they hold children to account, they ensure that the young person takes responsibility, they ensure that the young person's needs are being met so they can factor in getting a kid back into school, drug or alcohol counselling, um, looking at the family situation too, if there's family violence, dysfunction, homelessness, those things can be dealt with in a way which you're involving services and support. So, um, yeah, diversion's, I think, the best option and the evidence is there to back that. Uh, I mean, I'd love to, to hear from you, um, Shailena, about the families, particularly the families of, of, uh, of these children that have been in detention. Have we heard response from, from some of those families to the findings? Oh, it's a bit hard because I'm in Melbourne, yeah. um, but uh, I do work still closely with uh, a lot of people in the youth justice sector in the Northern Territory and um, families have been very involved in the work of the Royal Commission and they've a, a lot of parents, guardians have given evidence to the Royal Commission about um, their experiences but also um, what they've observed happened to their child who's been involved either in child protection or youth justice so the voices of children and families are reflected in the findings of the Royal Commission and um, but everyone's really hopeful now that there will be action rather than just more talking and another report sitting on a shelf and I know on the news recently um, there's families in remote communities that don't really know what's come out of the Royal Commission. They, I know that was the first recommendation, uh, recommendation from the Royal Commission is that Commonwealth and Northern Territory commit to ensuring the findings, the recommendations, the report actually makes its way to remote areas of the, of the Northern Territory because people need to know... Um, do we just talk for nothing or is there going to be real action? And what does this report say? So I think for now it's it's one, um, not just waiting on Commonwealth and NT to commit, but also trying to ensure that everyone in the Northern Territory should should be informed about the findings and um, know that there's going to be real action. Mm. I've read in the wake of the report being released that the former Northern Territory Corrections Minister said that the, the lack of, um, I guess, recommendations for criminal proceedings against particular individuals working in the youth justice system was uh, a sort of vindication, um, in a sense, for, for his government's policies at the time when he was part of the government. I understand some matters have been referred to police out of this process. Do you think it's likely that we will see people kind of held to account and um, and anyone prosecuted for for being part of that abuse? It's very difficult because I know um, a lot... Well, some complaints had actually been referred to police. Um, some youth justice workers had been charged for offences. Um, I know others who had been referred to police and no charges were preferred. Uh, a lot of the evidence that came out in the Royal Commission from the, the victims uh, was in closed court so I don't know the extent of that evidence um, and it's really hard to determine how strong the evidence is but um, the Royal Commission in their report indicated that there had been referrals to the director, uh, sorry, the NT police for further investigation and um, and I think we all saw a lot of video footage of uh, um, what I would thought were, were criminal offences that were um, were 
enough to take it to uh, to court. So um, the DPP would need reasonable prospects, and I think it's just the strength of the evidence. But um, referrals have been made; they have been made to the NT Police, and uh, and and that's simply on the basis that there an offence had been committed or may well have been committed. And um, yeah, I guess it's just a wait and see. Mm. Yeah, and I think I mean the disturbing photographs and film that we we saw as part of Four Corners, and then since really woke Australia up in a way. And I, I, I um, but I do need to ask about the, the track record we have uh, nationally, and I suppose state and in the territory um, for implementing recommendations from royal commissions. I know the death in custody has been roundly condemned for decades for some of the recommendations mm-hmm. that weren't implemented and bringing them home report. And I mean, here in Victoria, we seem to have a better record recently for adopting recommendations once this process has been gone through. Uh, I suppose yeah. that's where that's an open question at the moment, isn't it? How how many will, will be implemented from the from this report? Yes. Uh, when when we had the report released, um, I was really concerned that the, uh, the the government's responsible would not commit to implement each and every recommendation. But the NT government, since uh, well, the more recent NT government since they came into power last year, um, have been quite vocal around working with uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, leaders and community controlled organisations and they've done a lot of work with the Aboriginal Peak Organisation, the NT. So um, I am quite hopeful that there has been this <laughs> open dialogue and uh, willingness to work in collaboration and ensure that Aboriginal people are able to determine their lives. So, and yeah, I think all we can do is be hopeful but the, the trouble is we're dealing with vulnerable children, children who have been harmed and the harm has been well substantiated in, in the evidence and the findings of the Royal Commission and I um, would have thought, noting that the, the images of Dylan Voller and those children were beamed into every household around Australia that we as a, a, a humane society will hold governments to account and that we would be beating down their doors if they did not do what's right. So um, I think it's that this is vulnerable children um, who have been harmed and we owe it to the children to ensure that governments do what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And well, hopefully we can get you back to speak again, Shalina, um, once we know what the approach is going to be from our governments. And you're in demand, so we're going to have to let you go to your next interviews. Uh, and thank you so much for, for giving some of your valuable time to us here at Triple R this morning. No, well, thank you. A friend of mine used to say about Mike, Michael Lunig's cartoons that they can grab you by the short and curlies. Uh, still found in the age each week. Looney cartoons can be potent and funny and whimsical and occasionally controversial. His new book of cartoons is called Ducks for Dark Times and it's out now and is a collection of his recent works and it's great to have you at Triple R. Oh, thank you, Talia. Thanks for coming in. And, um, I mean, you've been drawing cartoons, I think, for over 40 years. And I wonder, are 50 we... 50 50? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's over 40 as well, technically. Oh, well, exactly. <laughs> 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 but, <laughs> no, that's a good point. <laughs> um, are we ducks in, in darker times, do you think, than, than when you go back to your early days of cartooning? Are we in darker times? Are we, now? are we ducks in darker times? Yeah. Uh, in many ways, yes, I think, definitely. The world's madder. <laughs> and, and it's, well, it's, it's not just the world, it's us as well, isn't it? Um, we have, the darkness can be, you know, out there, the Donald Trump sort of darkness or the, the wars that seem to rage, etc. And the population explosions. And yet, uh, personal things too and I think personal dark times 
seem to be more prolific or maybe more examined and talked about and suffered from, perhaps. It would seem that way to me. But how does one know? Statistics can't be relied on entirely. You have to have an intuition about it as well. And, I mean, how can cartoons help us deal with dark times? Well, um, I think cartoons are just an aspect of of the artist's work, whether it be a poet, a songwriter, um, you know... This, um, I think the work is to express what is repressed mm. and I, I, th- I think we don't we do repress a lot and a lot is repressed both in the media, in our personal psychological and emotional life and it's not just the, the dreadful things that we repress, we repress our joyous side a bit too We're sort of our innocence is, it gets a bit repressed, so I think that's what artists have always done, they've always been trying to Explore um, or understand what's going on inside us, because and and they have to take a stab at it. They have to guess it and intuit it, and and then give expression to that. So, um, I, I reckon any artist these days worth their salt would be looking at the strife, the trouble we're in. And like they've always done that. Mm. What was Dylan? What was Bob Dylan writing about in the sixties? Except a lot of dark stuff. Well, he wrote love songs, obviously, but there was a lot of dark stuff, and he dared to look at it and did it, you know, wonderfully. Yeah. Mm. And do you think we respond differently? I know that. I mean, you were. Um, I, I think of that era around, with, you know, Vietnam War and mm. those wars, and, and I suppose criticising leader decisions about going there, and then we've got our own wars now, as you say, and uh, sometimes it feels like criticising decisions to go there is is kind of, you know, not encouraged. Our leaders don't like it. To and be critical. Yeah, mean. to be critical. And I, I mean, mm. do you find that? It's it's more difficult to be critical now than. Uh, it's more yeah. difficult to speak freely now. I, I, I'm I'm surprised at the puritan the, the puritan nature of younger generations and always correcting each other and inhibiting and censoring and uh, you see it a lot on social media. You see it in newspaper columns. And I think what's happened to the young people? For heaven's sake, be more lenient and forgiving and let it all flow out a bit more. But there's this kind of Puritanism which has come into it, which isn't very helpful. And it makes people a bit cranky and angry. And, well, there is an anger anyway. And there is, there is much anxiety. And for good reasons. I mean, live a normal day in the city of Melbourne and you will come home maybe with a lot of suppressed... Yeah, don't get anxiety, in the car. <laughs> etc. And um, it, it's not as friendly in some respects. And um, that, to me, is a sort of darkness. Mm, I think. And you've experienced that in, in recent years with some of your cartoons, and it's happened throughout your career as well, but some of your yes. um, cartoons being seen as, as controversial and so on. And given that, I mean, you you feel that that kind of puritanism has become more intense does it make you at all question what how you should what sort of cartoon you should produce and what sort of messages or or ideas you should be freely playing Mm. with yes that's interesting dylan and because it is a balance and i'm i do question myself there's a natural tendency to not want to hurt people you know not want to deliberately aggravate or upset and yet there is a responsibility to 
speak a truth that you perceive or you feel. No one can get it 100% right, and we should understand that about each other and say, well, we're all humans, we're all fallible, uh, but what is our intention? We're trying to do our best. We're all caught in a common dilemma, which is the modern age, uh, with all its problems so, so it's a time we need to be very forgiving and understanding and that would be a good intellectual or, or cultural uh, sort of manner to have it would allow things it would uh, if we believe in freedom why don't we put it into practice and allow it with each other there's a kind of a desire to go after each other the different sort of uh, culture tribes and you know identity politics can become very savage and sort of go nowhere ultimately yeah I mean even words like freedom mean different things to different people don't they they do they do and it's always this I'm going to make you a better person um, <clears throat> it's like everyone's become a school headmaster or headmistress and ticking each other off there's a lot of that going on sure there's always <coughs> excuse me there's always a um there's always people who practice freedom you know around their kitchen table and and uh, are tolerant these old ideas really old ideas of tolerance uh, it's shrunk a bit and, and but why why the anger <laughs> There's a lot to be angry about, sure, but, uh, you know, it's a matter of character, isn't it? Can we bear it? Can we bear each other's difference? Uh, I mean, you've had um, characters who figured in, in your artwork, in your cartoons throughout the years, such as Mr. Curly, Vasco Pajama, and, of course, ducks that are the, the main subject, I guess, of this book. Why ducks? Why ducks? Well... I think I think uh, a lot of the cartoonist's work is to work in symbols. It's sort of hieroglyphs. Uh, it's not so self-consciously so, but that's what it amounts to. And what may might a duck evoke? The, the very sight of a duck might evoke in in the unconscious, in the unconscious sort of mind, and where all the where all the powerful stuff happens. Um, well, it would it would evoke ideas of nature, of innocence, of kind of there's some sort of cheerful goodwill in the dark. Um, of course, they have their own issues, but so as far as humans are concerned, we look upon them fondly and well, and they don't threaten us. And um, do you know anyone who dislikes ducks? I don't. And <laughs> so I, I, I dislike keeping ducks. <laughs> have well, you ever kept ducks? They're, of a they're a handful. They are, yeah, they are. But, um, but, but I like oh, ducks. Yeah. Well, we'll see. In spite of the in spite of their mess they make, etc., <laughs> we, we, we're kind of. And we need to be fond of some living creatures, and you know you see dogs everywhere, and people love their dogs and and, and that in this environment of harsh politics and and kind of dreadful technological menacing threats um, we need these we need nature and we need a creature, and we need the inner creature in ourselves and that 's what my work is often about it's it 's kind of you know come back, come back to your primal self it 's not a bad thing it 's actually a divine aspect of yourself, so you know have it and and see it in others and respect it in others and, and there 's a lot of truth and wisdom in that side of us in this overly intellectualized um, idealistic world it's 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 the rawness of, of 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 and the beauty of that rawness in us that i think 
I'm just symbolising in the dark. Mm. Long answer for a simple mm. question. <laughs> you might have picked up Michael Lunick is our guest and uh, maybe he's the only person that could write a book called Ducks for Dark Times or compile a book. And only, I mean, this is a, a compilation of, of cartoons that have been published of elsewhere. exactly. And how do you go about selecting? Because you are still producing cartoons at Mm. least weekly well how do i go about it very casually i think i'm not it's not highly organized and aimed at some theme it's it's kind of more or less and loose as a goose you know (laughs) and it it was surprisingly like that and as i get older i think oh well they all belong together like a family everyone's a bit in disagreement and a bit in agreement (laughs) yeah and i mean as well as publishing some 20 books and of course your your daily cartoons in the age you're you're speaking tonight at the school of life and i wonder what that's like because that's a very different process to Mm. sitting down Mm. i imagine often by yourself and 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 contemplating where the world's at currently and and how you're going to distill that into a cartoon do you enjoy getting up in front of people and and talking um i i sort of don't push myself forward too much into that but once I accept that I think my way into it is to say well at the outset you've got to love the audience you just have to kind of regardless of who they are you've got to think well of them and love them and so you engage in it and accept accept the uh, the situation and it, it can be good it can be good it's a surprising what an audience the energy and the sort of personality an entire audience has and I guess this is what philosophers always did and we're all philosophers are we not and um, yeah it can be fun and the the the, the, um, the mission is the 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 challenge is to speak as truthfully and as frankly as you can because a lifetime teaches you to sort of it takes it's a lifetime's work to actually <laughs> learn to speak utterly truthfully from your own truth and if it's an opportunity well look at my age and uh, uh, like a lot of people my age you feel oh I must say what I feel if I'm asked to if I'm asked to I must say what I really think not what I should Mm. think and that's yeah that's where trouble starts and and, but it's good it's very alive experience and um and it's 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 uh it always engages me and then there's remorse afterwards you know speaker shame as i call it i go away think oh dear what did i (laughs) say what did i fail to say i didn't express that point properly i didn't go into that enough etc etc then you have to have a little glass of wine or something and come down from all that (laughs) is Um, is that question of of how how you can be truthful something you you ask yourself every morning when, when you get up to to draw the next day's cartoon um, is it that truth that that you you, you feel you, you expressing every um, every day I, I hope sometimes making a cartoon is it's a little offering to the world and sometimes you think what does the world need today and well obviously i don't know and there is no answer but there's a little delusion you need to create so what what might i offer the world today what's the best thing i can offer 
Um, and sometimes the best thing you can offer is a very simple thing, a very simple thing that they already know, and it's just a reminder of something. And you know, the sometimes the most important thing is the thing lying at your feet, and everyone's looking to the stars. But 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 sometimes you have to say, no, what about this? And it's just bringing back something. So it can be as simple as that, or it can be a really complex meditation about. So say say there's an issue of of uh, same sex marriage or whatever, and you think what is a deeper issue in all this? What what are other thoughts that come ar- arising out of this? Uh, the obvious things have been proclaimed and written about, but what lies under it? What are the other concerns or thoughts? And so that's a lot of thinking, and. Um, and, and and it's a lot of risk in that case. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I mean you, I mean you, you came at that this just over the, the weekend, and and I mean what I took from your cartoon was looking at at rights and those human rights, and now we're talking about the rights of, of the church and others, yeah. and yet yes. the discussion could have been for generations about the the rights for equality, uh, and so I mean it is, you know they are you've only got about six panels, don't you? Exactly. To tell that story, and it's too small in some ways, but maybe that's a virtue. You have to keep on distilling and distilling and distilling, and come to just well. It's like a song in some ways. It's got to have a musical quality to it, a lyrical quality. It has. It can't be an essay. But some people treat it like it's an, you've written an act of parliament. It's it's so they get so head up as if you've proclaimed a law and forced them to live under it. But all it is is a distilled little drawing, uh, which opens something. I, and I don't like I, I don't like when people say, "Oh, you nailed it there." I said, "No, I don't want to nail it. I want to pull the nails out and open it up." And if you can just do that, if you can loosen the thinking, you've done a bit, you know, something worthwhile. I don't like award-winning things. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to ask you um, before we, we have to say goodbye, but uh, yeah. about the newspaper business because you've yeah. been—I mean, you—you you mm. would have been in, you know, in newsrooms for many years. I yeah. don't know if you—you probably, you know, maybe don't work in a, in a newsroom anymore, maybe. But mm. uh, I mean, where, where do you see that going? Because um, and how much are you interacting online with your work? It's, it's, I don't go near a newspaper office anymore, and yet I grew up in it. Well, I started out in the meatworks, actually, which is not exactly a, a, um, <laughs> a, a newspaper. Sausage office. factory. Yeah, yeah, all that. Yeah. Traditional career trajectory for a cartoonist, starting the meat factory. <laughs> well, well, it is. I had to kill cattle. Uh, no, I didn't volunteer for that. I was a labourer. Mm. And then I'm sent into this life and death situation. And as I've said, it, it sensitises some and it might brutalise others, but it immensely sensitised me and I had a lot of thinking to do because we were a meat-eating world back then. Mm. So I had to face it. But um, And then into, into the newspaper world, well, I did see the golden era and the astonishing characters which were attra- who were attracted to uh, journalism. This is before Google where the sub-editors couldn't just Google a fact and check it. Someone sort of knew. Sub-editors were extraordinarily well-educated and people and they'd travelled and seen and they you'd hear them arguing about some minor fact, you know, just to get it right. And this astonishing theatre of putting out a huge daily newspaper and all that printing and typesetting in the old technology and all the journalists, male and female, crying, smoking... (laughs) 
literally all these things or having a quick brandy in the editor's office because they'd broken down and the editor would offer them so it really was quite a colourful and uh, extraordinary atmosphere and the people in it I more or less loved a lot and they taught me much because I went into it as I say I was 24 when I went into it I was asked to comment on politics are things of which I knew really nothing I thought I knew a lot but I, I really knew nothing and and so these people were, were, were sort of mentors in a way and very funny and very naughty and very very profound and sort of complex people so I saw a lot of that and I do it slightly saddens me that that beautiful rich culture has been diminished and the news we're now getting uh, in the wake of these great newspapers and posing as news sources are not. It's There's no one spending money. They're not sending reporters out into the field to really chase down a story and mm. examine our culture and ask good questions. So there's sadness in it and, and loss. Um, and that's just nostalgia, but it's also a concern for what is posturing as news mm. which is so manipulative now what does it mean for for cartoonists as well because obviously people have grown up with your cartoons in, in the age every day um is there anything that can replace that the role of the cartoonist given that the daily newspapers are very much on the way out oh uh, yeah that's uh, that's interesting uh, because it was an aspect like if journalism and newspapers were an aspect of the dem democratic process uh, and bringing information I think a cartoonist did traditionally have a role which was a little bit like the holy fool I say in in in, uh, in tradition the one who was free to make an individual statement you know there was no sub editors checking anything except the spelling so it it they valued to have just uh, a unique human voice which is fallible, which is humane, uh, a person who'd be s representing the voice of the, the non-powerful, the unattractive, the un improbable, the unlikely. I think that's a very healthy idea in a society to have the outsider voice, the conscientious outsider's voice. And, of course, it's uh, it's done with a hand, the drawing, the primal thing is involved, and that has a strange effect, that unique little character you might draw. So it's it's primal, and uh, to have that in the midst of all this responsibility and articulation was a beautiful element, I think. Yeah. That's a wonderful uh, spot to end our conversation. It's been really great to have you in at Triple R, Michael. And, uh, and, uh, Michael Lunig's new book of cartoons is called Ducks for Dark Times. It's out through Penguin and, uh, and it's full. I didn't even count how many cartoons are in there. Do you even know? I don't oh, know. I don't, I whole don't lot. Know. A whole lot. It's just pages and pages of them yeah. and, uh, it ranges through a whole lot of, uh, characters and topics and there's, Color cartoons in there are mono, and it's um, everything that you would expect from a book from Michael Noonig. And it's uh, really great to meet you. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Dylan. This has been a podcast from Three Triple R, one hundred two point seven FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.